Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Antonio Neves, and I am so excited that you're here for another episode of The Best Thing Podcast. You're here, so my hunch is that you're enjoying the podcast, and that means the world to me. So I'm going to ask you a favor, and that favor is for you to share this podcast with some members of your community. That could be a family member, that could be a friend, that could be a work colleague, that could be a neighbor across the street. It would mean the world to me if you'd be willing just to share this with them so they can learn what the best thing is all about. Also, if you haven't already hit subscribe, do that right now on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. That would mean the world to me. Okay, without further ado, let's get to another episode of The Best Thing. Welcome to The Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey everyone, welcome to The Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, a coach, and an author. And each week I bring on a new guest who has a story to share that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. I'm so excited because this week's guest is someone I met when I moved to Los Angeles from New York City in 2012, a move he also once made. And I've been inspired by him, his work, and his journey ever since. Light Watkins has been a full-time Vedic meditation teacher since 2007, and he's the author of two excellent books that I highly recommend. First, The Inner Gym, and his second book, Bliss More. Bliss More has been ranked as a top 20 wellness book of all time. Over the years, Light has taught thousands of people how to meditate, and currently, he is nomading around the world while giving talks on happiness and inspiration and leading live meditation trainings and retreats. Light, I'm so excited to have you on The Best Thing. And I know right now you happen to be on your journey in Mexico City. How's it treating you down there? It's beautiful. I love it down here. That's great, man. I've never been before, but I'd, I'd I like uh, it. And I'm happy to be talking to you. Thanks, man. That's a place I want to get to eventually. And um, I'm just glad you made time. I was really excited to hear what your answer is going to be to this question. What's one of those best things that happened to you that doesn't include those traditional markers of success, like buying a house or graduating from college or having a kid? What comes to mind for you? Oh my God. Um, first of all, I just want to say that's a great question. That's something that I actually think about a lot. I try to reverse engineer so-called bad things and, and see, you know, if there was what good came out of them. And I have to say the first thing that comes to mind is getting broken up with. And what I mean by that is I've been in a string of relationships um, in, my, in the past 10 years where I have been broken up with, but a lot of that has been on purpose, meaning that I made a conscious decision not to break up, no matter how bad it got. And they didn't get bad. There was no like crazy, abusive, nothing like that. But just, you know, I, prior to that, so I'm in my 40s now, but in my 20s and 30s, you know, I would be, I felt like I was a little bit too quick to break up. And 
and I was wondering if there was some sort of some sort of thing that transition that happens if you go beyond that place of tension that makes you want to break up in a relationship. And so one second, Lab, you said beyond that place of tension. And I have to ask, I mean, that you're going beyond the place of tension. You're essentially saying you're going to hang in there. So I'm curious, and I, this is a, I think I know the answer a little bit to the question, but is there an overlap with your work and meditation and even going deciding to do that in a relationship? I, I would say that my meditation practice probably makes it easier to make that decision and also just brings about more curiosity around that decision. Because one of the things that I teach in my classes is that happiness is not a future proposition. It's something that you can source in the present. And in fact, I, I tell my students that you're as happy right now as you're able, as it's possible for you to be, right? So in other words, there's nothing that's going to be happening in the future, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, that's going to make you happier internally then you're able to be right here in this moment, which means, you know, it's a call to become more um, what I call self-referral as opposed to object referral. So object referral is the external circumstance is controlling my inner state. And self-referral is whatever I'm feeling inside is causing me to have a certain experience externally. For instance, if I don't like my job, I don't do anything about it, but I feel that I, you know, I feel a tension around it. Eventually I may get fired or eventually I may start to have a lot of problems or get into fights with my coworkers. And it's not that I'm fighting with my coworkers. And as a result of that, I don't like my job. Usually when we look at it really, really closely, it's, well, I really didn't like what was, what I was feeling inside. And so as a byproduct of, of that, I started getting into these little situations that didn't feel that great on the outside. So I was kind of bringing that filter or that understanding to my relationships, wondering, is it me? Is it them? And I think one of our tendencies is to, is to say that it was them, but, but, you know, I think it's a stronger choice to say, well, you know what, it's probably me. And so just to give this dynamic, the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to stick in it longer and uh, and see see what happens on the other side of that. Well, it's fascinating to hear you say, as I know firsthand, how challenging it can be to say it's probably me, to point the finger at myself. Society teaches us to point the finger at everyone else uh, except for ourselves. And I think it's really powerful and be accountable to do that. So when you decided to get beyond that place and hang in those relationships, uh, what was the outcome? So what I realized after getting broken up with two or three times is that I would be inspired to create something or to give something back to humanity. So one of those things was uh, this event that I started called The Shine, which is an inspirational variety show that went on to become a nonprofit. And the whole concept is to bring together people who don't want to... Uh, don't feel the need to engage in alcohol in order to have a good time, but yet we still like doing normal things. We like listening to live music. We like comedy. We like um, good talks and storytelling and community and 
sharing meals together and stuff like that. So what I realized was that that was a, that was really a byproduct of me in that relationship, feeling like I couldn't really be myself. And instead of getting into another situation where I felt the same, I decided that, um, that I was, uh, going to create a, a, an environment where other people who felt like me could come together. And so that was kind of cool. And I actually ended up getting into my next relationship through, uh, through the shine, which is pretty remarkable. Um, prior to that, I, when my, one of my longest term relationships, when we separated, I, that became a catalyst for me moving to Los Angeles, um, which you mentioned in your intro. Uh, I moved to LA in 2002. And part of that was I just couldn't bear to be in New York any longer. I don't know what your excuse was for moving to LA, but I, we, she and I lived in the same neighborhood and, uh, and, and we were going back and forth for a long time. And then finally, uh, she decided she broke up and I tried to get back with her, but she wouldn't get back with me. And I just, I couldn't go anywhere without being constantly reminded of this relationship that I was in. And I just, I literally had to get out of Dodge, which I did. And I ended up being in LA for 17 wonderful years. And, uh, and I, I don't think it would have happened as quickly had I not broken up with, with, uh, with my ex at the time. But just briefly, First, mm-hmm. you mentioned the shine earlier, and for folks who are listening, if you ever have the opportunity to attend one, these are amazing events that I've attended in Los Angeles. I know, like you've had these events also in places like London and New York City, so they're they're great events. And like you, I left New York City after twelve years, not because of a breakup between me and a person, but frankly because of a breakup between me and the, uh-huh. and the city. I'd reached a point where. I, I didn't feel like I could continually grow. New York is an easy, as crazy and challenging as it is, it's actually an easy place to be and not necessarily always stretch yourself once you get comfortable. And I, I, it was time for me to pivot. That's where, why I found my way to LA. As I'm listening to you talk about how, you know, sometimes these relationships coming to an end were the catalyst for you creating something new. Uh, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but does that spark create any fear? Like, can you create in a, in a relationship that is sustainable? Or have you found that those endings are the embers that start a brand new fire for you? Uh, that's a good question. And, and, and I do think it's possible to create and be creative. Um, and I have been creative in the relationship dynamic and uh, dynamics that I've been in. I... I just think it's also remarkable that, you know, I think it's two, we we create in two different forms. We create when things are going great and we innovate when things are going, when when things look like they're going south. So, and that can also be in the creativity category, innovation around whatever, picking ourselves up, uh, you know, any, any kind, anytime we experience stark change, you know, something is being strengthened and uh, kind of like what Nietzsche said, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, that's that's creativity. That's creation because you're having to shed an old way of looking at things or you're having to shed an old um, an old emotional state that caused you to a lot of pain in, in, in that situation. And you have to learn from that experience and, and hopefully get stronger as a result. And it could be financially stronger. It could be emotionally stronger. It could be uh, spiritually stronger, whatever, but that's that that's all rele- relevant when it comes to I think the power of creativity. I'm curious. Earlier, you mentioned this whole notion of, of happiness is not a, a future 
proposition. It's an idea of where you are today. I'm curious how much what we talked about so far has allowed you to live the no the nomading life. I would love for you just to unpack and share, for example, what your personal possessions are today and how you're able to exist and frankly, you know, go beyond. Most folks would go nuts not having all their things around them and not maybe not knowing what the next few days are going to be like, but you've been able to find a way to embrace that and in fact thrive. Well, it wasn't, it's not the, to be honest with you, it's not the first time I've done it. <laughs> I did it um, after college when I quit my first job, my first like nine to five job, or my, actually my only nine to five job, went on a surge sojourn of, that lasted about a year around uh, over in Europe and stuff like that. Then uh, I did it again when I broke up with, when the girl in New York broke up with me and uh, I moved to Los Angeles with nothing but a, but a, suitcase. And, you know, each time you do it, you see on the yonder side of it that things tend to work out. And the commonality is that you're just listening to and following your inner guidance. So, so I started to detect the connection between the inner guidance and this sense of security, even in the midst of change. And once I started to take more and more leaps and bigger leaps, and the net always appears and it always appears and it never looks like what you think it's going to look like. Um, then you start to find comfort within that uncertainty or discomfort. And so this last iteration of it was probably the easiest one because I had zero doubts that things were going to work out. In fact, it was the opposite. So I've been doing it for so long that now I've realized, I've recognized that if I don't follow my inner guidance, that's where things go south. And it's funny because I've been thinking about doing it. I just, it just wasn't convenient to do. It's, it's, you know, getting rid of 40 years of your possessions is not an easy thing to do in a month. And, uh, and there's so many little moving parts. And I noticed that I started to, the more I dra was dragging my feet, not again, not because I didn't, I didn't know I was, I didn't think I would, could do it. I just, it just, there was a convenient time to just do it all within 30 days. Um, I noticed I started getting into little, little disputes with my landlord and I started to feel disconnected from my apartment and I found myself on the road more and more and being happy about that. And I started carrying less things with me. So I was kind of energetically getting there before I physically was able to get there. And then things just kind of lined up and I recognized the alignment around, you know, my car lease was up, my apartment lease was about to go to month to month, or I was going to sign a new lease, which I decided not to do. And yeah, and, and my book promotional tour was coming to an end. So that particular time of year, which was May 2018, just ended up being the perfect time. And I was about to hit the road pretty solidly for a few months. So that was going to be the perfect time to actually uh, hit the eject button. And, and, and I just went for it. And, you know, again, it was like the easiest thing. I mean, it was much easier in execution than, I, than it seemed like it was going to be in my mind. So then I wish I'd done it a lot sooner. I'm curious for that person that's listening to this, and I'm even speaking for myself as well. You mentioned listening to your your inner guidance. For that person that's like, I hear you, and how do I listen to my inner guidance? It sounds like you just described a variety of things that were going on around you. 
uh, the lease, the car lease, your apartment lease, you're about to go on the road a bit, all these things that were coming together for you. If I'm hearing you correctly, maybe a lot of people ignore those things. So for that person who's listening and they're curious how to listen or even discover their inner guidance, what would you say? Well, I mean, that's one of the things that you're funding when you meditate. You know, meditation is not just sitting down and and uh, just doing it for for meditation's sake. It's literally to cultivate that sense of internal guidance because it's in. I, I firmly believe that it's in all of us, and uh, and what they re- refer to it as in metaphysical circles is the still small voice, and they call it that because it's so it's so faint, it's so slight that you have to really get so quiet in order to feel or hear what it's telling you to do or where it's nudging you to go. And, um, but what meditation does over many, 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 many sittings is that it can turn the volume up and then you can start to hear it outside of meditation. And then you can start to hear it in action. And then it's just there all the time with you, just like how the ego is with us telling us to do you know, to protect ourselves or to don't let that person get away with taking advantage of you. And, you know, these kinds of things where you, you, you may say something that maybe wasn't necessary, but it makes you, your ego feel better because you, you, uh, you had a comeback, you had a quick comeback and made someone feel, you know, whatever way for trying to make you feel a certain way. That's all ego stuff, right? So that voice is there. The voice of anger is could be there. The voice of insecurity could be there. You're not good enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. You know, and, and the, but the still small voice is kind of, for a lot of people, it's buried deep down underneath all of those other ego voices. And meditation really is a mechanism for turning that voice up so it can compete with all the other voices and ultimately so it can overpower the ego voice so that it's easier to follow that guidance. And that's, you know, and at that point, you don't need discipline to do it. It's just like, it's like, you know, it's like if you had Barack Obama, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, if you had the most respected thought leaders in your ear telling you, giving you business advice, you wouldn't even question it, right? If Warren Buffett gave you investment advice, it's like, okay, fine, that's what I'm going to do. Warren Buffett just told me to do it. He's the you know most successful investor in history, so why would I question that, right? So the inner voice has that level of confidence, and when you hear it, it's like you don't even think about questioning it because it's that it's that strong. And and if you don't hear that, then that just means you still need to you know continue doing your inner work. And that that maybe that's your why for making the time to sit, but it needs to be a consistent thing because otherwise the other voices are. And, and the, the irony is the other voices tell you you don't have time to meditate. Right. The voice of stress says, don't meditate. You don't have time or nothing's going to be happening anyway. So if you listen to those voices, they get stronger. So really, you know, it's like the old, you know, the old parable of the man with the two wolves. Uh, Which one are you going to feed the angry wolf or that or the happy wolf? And that's the one that's going to get stronger. Yeah, I love you mentioning the still small voice. And I think even when I didn't have a meditation practice, I can still remember living in South Florida, working as a sales representative, man, selling cheese to grocery stores that you probably don't even know about and feeling this this tap on my shoulder, uh, that that still voice saying, this is a good job, but it's not your job. And it took me almost a year to listen to that and make that decision to move to New York City 
with less than a thousand dollars in my pocket to, you know, decide to pursue a career in the television industry, something that I always wanted to do. And you also you also mentioned something about how meditation can turn the volume up. Something else I've also, I think, experienced with, with clients that I've coached and even with myself is that if we ignore something long enough, that still voice, it can manifest itself in other ways too. It can manifest itself, like you mentioned, maybe in anger. It can manifest itself in us sedating ourselves with the wrong people, with the wrong activities, uh, with alcohol, different substances. And sometimes I think it can kind of be a, like a Coke can that's being just continuously shaken up and you never know when that joint's going to explode because we're stifling that voice that wants to be released. Can, can you relate to that at all? Absolutely, man. Yeah. I mean, and it's, uh, and it's uh, the analogy that I like to use is kind of the one of the cough um, where you try to hold in a cough <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's inevitable that you're going to move in that direction, but the longer you resist it, the more violent it can seem on the other end. And that's what we call drama. You know, like if I had stayed in my apartment longer and longer, it seemed like the situation was becoming more and more dramatic. So a lot of people will think, oh, you know, I'm experiencing drama. I'm, I'm out of the flow or I'm out of alignment with, with the intelligence or the universe or whatever. And it's just that you resisted the change so much that you kind of got slingshotted in the same direction you were going to go in anyway. It's just happening so fast now that it seems a little bit more painful or maybe tenuous or something like that. But either case, you really can't screw it up, but you can make it a lot more enjoyable by just trying to, trying to take action on it sooner rather than later. That analogy of the cough is, is spot on, and I can only it's really spot on right now because I <laughs> I have an aggressive <laughs> cough that I'm trying that I'm trying to hold back. Um, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more. Earlier, we talked a little bit about the shine, and you'd mentioned in a previous conversation we had about so many people how they can be miserable during the week, and then they find a way to get that outlet on the weekend that involves alcohol or different things, but how you intentionally created something, a community where alcohol wasn't a product of it, uh, uh, where healthy food was a part of it and, the, and positive messages. Why, why do you think so little of that exists or maybe so little that we're, we're aware of? I think that people are, I mean, we culturally, we still kind of have this idea that, that uh, happiness is a future event. And so it, it, encourages us to not be present and to be future thinking, forward thinking, um, and planning and, uh, and basically ignoring whatever's happening around us or seeing it as an obstacle to where we really want to be because that's where the happiness is. But the, the, it's a trap because when you get to that next phase where the happiness was supposed to be, you discover that actually I still feel the same inside and now I have a new goal that is supposed to make me happy. And that's kind of the treadmill effect, you know, the, the acquisitive approach to happiness. And so we have to, if you've done enough research with that, which I think hopefully by the time you reach your forties or fifties or sixties, you've, you've kind of discovered, okay, I've gone through the whole trajectory of every, every experience Society told me was supposed to bring me happiness. I got a job. I made a little money. I got married, perhaps. I had a kid or two, perhaps. I went on vacation. 
you know, I did all the things, I saw all the, all the holidays, all the birthday parties. And yet I still feel kind of the same inside. Nothing has really changed all that much. And, um, and, and, and nowadays I think people are reaching that point younger and younger because, you know, we have this idea that now your job has to have a sense of purpose and passion. And, um, and so instead of just working at the same place for 20 and 30 years, that's, that's almost seen as like a negative nowadays. So now that happiness and purpose has entered the conversation around your day-to-day employment. And, uh, and so it's helping people to kind of wake up to this idea that, wait a minute, there's an internal, uh, uh, satisfaction that needs to have happen as well. And maybe that needs to even be the driving force behind the decisions that I make, the work decisions, uh, the relationship decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So I think people see the shine as a means for recharging and being reminded of what's important in that regard. Right. And, and instead of buzzing yourself and, and, and subduing your, your internal awareness in the name of fun, it's like, no, let's do the opposite. Let's, in, let's expand your awareness. Let's get the natural high going so that you can go back out into the world that very much is still sort of indoctrinated to think that happiness is in the future. And, and we can be the pioneers of this idea that happiness is inside and hopefully find the strength to endure that, uh, the waves and the swells of, of that cultural indoctrination that's kind of telling us the opposite of what we inherently know to be true. Yeah. And I'm curious for you, as you speak on that, I'm curious, you do meditation trainings all across the world. And what would you say are the consistent threads, if at all, of the men and women that show up? Because of course, again, you do these not just stateside, but across oceans as well. Do you find as you just, what you just described, that how you want to create that event, the shine that has those consistent types of, of themes and for folks to express themselves and to expand, is, is there a, a specific type of person that shows up to your meditation trainings? Sure, man. I mean, I think a lot of people that come are in a couple of different camps. One you have people who are just really curious about this thing and, you know, they have the resources, the disposable income and the time to uh, indulge in that curiosity. And, uh, and two, you have people who kind of have hit emotional or spiritual rock bottom where things just stop making sense in the conventional approach to success. And, um, and they, they're looking for, uh, more answers within, and I guess there's a third category of people who's who's who been suffering the under the debilitating effects of stress for so long that medically speaking, their doctors have told them that they have no choice but to go and learn how to meditate. So it's usually one of those one of those three three categories of people. And um, people say, you know, when you teach in Atlanta or when you teach in you know California, are they two different types of people? It's the same three types of people just in different places. They exist all over the place. You mentioned a, a community of people that I know extremely well, the people that you just talked about, the things stop making sense. And the, and the irony for these men and women is that, as you probably know, for many of them on paper, everything looks good, that they have the job, they have the income, maybe they have the family in the house and the uh, white picket fence. 
if you will, but at some point things have stopped making sense. And my hunch is, again, going back to something you said not long ago, maybe things have stopped making sense for them because they have ignored that still small voice inside of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, that's what we do. We ignore it. You know, there's no, there's no, if you, you can go through a whole day or a whole week, perhaps just, you know, living your life, going to work, watching TV. No one's talking about the still small voice. No one's talking about inner guidance. There's no one at work that's going to bring it up. There's no one at home usually that's going to talk about it because it's not seen as being something that's realistic. And the still small voice notoriously points you in a direction of uncertainty, right? We're all striving to be comfortable, which means you have to have some sense of certainty about where you're going. And that's not the still small voices deal, right? The the deal with the still small voice is you grow from being uncomfortable. You grow from stretching and challenging yourself and your beliefs. And so it's a, it's a complete uh, about face when it comes to the way that we normally approach life. And it's just not something that people feel all that uh, drawn to, especially if they live a life such as yourself, where you have kids, you have wife, you have, you know, you're making ends meet and, you know, there's not a lot of time for that inner exploration. And so people usually just use that time to watch Netflix or to do other things that are, that allow them to just kind of wind down and just cope with, you know, whatever's going to be happening tomorrow. So it's, but again, it can become your new norm if you do it consistently enough. And I, I tell people just start with small stuff, you know, such as when you get broken up with or when things don't go your way, ask questions instead of being upset and blaming and playing the victim. Just start asking questions, be self-referral, you know, figure out what was it that was inside of you that helped to manifest or co-create this experience. And if you're honest with yourself, nine times out of 10, you'll see that you really didn't want to be in that experience in the first place, or some part of you didn't like the way you were relating to that experience. And that's feedback for the next situation, because the fact that you were ejected from that past situation means that something better is coming. And if you're still stewing about what happened before, you may potentially miss the new thing that's coming that's going to be better suited for your current state of growth and evolution. So I think having that constant reminder and playing that game with yourself where you're you're not you're asking questions you're not playing the victim and in fact if you want to go further than that you're grateful you're grateful you're finding reasons to be grateful you know and it requires a little bit of reverse engineering but it's a very powerful exercise that will start to bleed into every experience that you have that causes some sort of stark or even subtle changes what a, what a beautiful way, beautiful way to put it. So many of us are are missing. We're missing the new thing because of what what we're blocking. As we wind down here, I'm curious for you. Again, as a person that doesn't have a lease on in a home or an apartment, that mortgage who has chosen like to, you know, when I check in on you on Instagram, I love seeing one day you're in London, then the next you're in Mexico, then you're in Bali leading a retreat, or you're in Canada at this festival or doing events here and there. A lot of people would say, oh. That, that's an uncertain existence. And maybe there is uncertainty in that, even though you know where your next plane ticket is going to take you. For you, as you move forward, is this something that's going to be open-ended or do you foresee a day where there may not be a P.O. box, but there's a an address where you can uh, knock on a door and see light? Good question. But, you know, what's, ironically, if I had an answer for that, then I wouldn't be truly living the path that I'm living. 
I don't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know, and I'm not. I'm purposely not not uh, thinking about it very much. Well, here's what I do know. What well, you I do know what? Know, well, just but even you. What I do. Yeah. I was like, even you acknowledging, even you acknowledging that I'm not thinking about it, it goes back to all the things we think too right. much about that aren't frankly important right. right now. And what I do know is that when the time, when I get the inner guidance to, to stay in one place, which I'm fully expecting that will happen one day, I just don't know when that will happen, then I'll stay in one place and I won't even think twice about it. It'd be great. Looking forward to it. Uh Oh, I love it. I love that answer, man. Well, I, I appreciate you for taking time to be on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think our listeners will as well. For people that want more of Light Watkins, want to see where you are in the world, maybe they want to get one of your uh, your newsletter, The Daily Dose of Inspiration, where can they find more? Uh, lightwatkins.com, or you can follow me on social media at Light Watkins. I'm on, at, at Light Watkins everywhere, and then lightwatkins.com. Is, is where you can sign up for my, I send out a daily uh, inspirational email. I send out a weekly and I send out a monthly. And he gives the best uh, Instagram stories, which we message about, and, and about <laughs> which is fun. And I have yet to do one of your meditation trainings. But you read the book. So it's going to happen. But I read the book and I am going to do an in-person training though in, uh, in 2020. I'm going to find you whether it's here in Los Angeles or, or if I have to go to Atlanta or London. I'm going to make it happen. What was your impression of the book? Have you been using this technique? I love the book. The book for me, for folks, again, we're talking about the book called Bliss More. What I liked about it was it's accessible. Uh, frankly, if you want to call them, if you want to call the category mindful books, mindfulness books, frankly, I find a lot of them laborious and academic to read. One thing you've been able to do in your book uh, is distill things, I think, that are easily digestible. So I get it and I'm not fighting to understand. Light, just so everyone's aware and we won't get into all the details right now, he really gets rid of all the myths and mysteries as it relates to to meditation and the ways to approach it, the right and quote unquote wrong way. And if there are right and wrong ways to do it. So for me, it's made it a lot more accessible. It's it's made me less fearful of doing it. Uh, You'll laugh at this. Uh, For the listeners, I used to have an app and I would do these guided meditations. Uh, I'm happy mm-hmm. to say that I no longer do guided meditations, primarily mm. based on uh, many of the things that I read in your book, frankly, trying to, how, how am I going to find my still small voice <laughs> when somebody's talking to me? <laughs> telling you uh, what to do all the time. Telling yeah. me what to do. <laughs> like, hey, man. So, no, the, the book is just great. And, Visualize uh, the rainbow. Now walk through the meadow. Now go swimming in the crystal waters. <laughs> exactly. They're they not going to let that still voice show up. Never. And I think you, I don't know if you mentioned this in a book or in one of your interviews, how back in the day when people were like, no one back monks, monks and people in caves were not leading people through meditations with words. Right. Uh, right. So I, I can't, I, I highly recommend this book. So again, man, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'll have you on again when we do this bad boy on video. And uh, I look forward to folks learning more about you and your work. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad it worked out. Got it. Take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to The Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 